our series is called God Hears because God hears and God is God is present with us. He knows what's going on and he is he's actually has a plan through everything that we are are facing. Today we want to talk about how how God is providing a a royal priest, a royal priesthood. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 11 through 36. One of the first things we have to ask is, well, what what was a priest? In the Old Testament, in Scripture, what was a priest? A priest in Israel was was a religious leader, and he served as a mediator between the people of God and God himself. He was the one that led worship. He was the one that made sacrifices. And we see that in, in Israel, after Moses, this was dedicated to one lineage, to one family. If you were a descendant of Levi, as Moses and Aaron was, you became a, a priest of God. And God provided for his priests through the sacrifices. And the priests were set apart as people who were holy. They had holy garments. They had holy instruments that they led worship with. And they led people in worship. They, they led people in worship through the sacrifices that they made. They took care of the temple. Uh, and earlier, they took care of the tabernacle. One of the interesting things about the priests in the Old Testament is on the turban that they wore on their head, there was a gold plate that we learn about in Exodus chapter 28. And on this gold plate, there was an inscription the inscription said, holy to the Lord, holy to the Lord. So every priest, as they, as they led this worship, as they led the people of Israel in worship to God, they had on their forehead this gold, solid gold plate that said, holy to the Lord. It's as if God was wanting to make certain that the people who led God's people were holy, that they took the things of God seriously. In fact, Later on in the book of Leviticus chapter 10, we learn about Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu were Aaron's sons, and they were about to do an act of worship in the tabernacle, and they didn't follow God's instructions. They took the things of, God's, of God lightly, and, and they sinned against him. And Leviticus chapter 10 talks about at that moment that God sent fire from heaven to consume both Nadab and Abihu. It was as if God was saying, I am holy and my words are to be taken seriously and my worship is to be taken seriously. Our passage in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is hundreds of years later. Moses has passed away. Aaron has passed away. We've gone through a a series of judges and priests. Uh, Things in Israel have gotten a bit dark and, and the things of God were not being taken seriously. The tabernacle was set up in this city called Shiloh, or this place called Shiloh, where Eli, the priest, uh, orchestrated and performed the sacrifices and was a mediator for the people of God to God. Eli learned these traditions from his father, who learned them from his father. And so what Eli did is when he had sons, he took the traditions of the priesthood and he passed them on to his sons. But what we learn is that Eli's sons had no regard for God. In fact, fact, they they despised God. They despised the things of God. And what we learn is that God 
rejects these immoral spiritual leaders. We see this in verses 11 through 34 of how God is rejecting these people who were, these priests who were leading God's people, but they weren't, they weren't being faithful to God. They weren't leading with a true heart. They were, they were corrupting the things of God. Eli's sons had no regard for God. In fact, it says this in verse 12, that they had no regard for God. In the liberal Hebrew, it says that they did not know the Lord. And think about it. Here they are with these priestly turbans on with this gold plate that said, holy to the Lord, while at the same time, they did not believe in this God. They did not believe in the Lord, Yahweh. They took the things of God lightly. And we see that they began to to corrupt God's worship. They did this in a couple different ways. In verses 13 through 17, we learn that that these sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, that they they corrupted the things of God through greed. The, the, the law of God talked about that whenever someone in Israel brought a sacrifice to God, that the fatty portions of the sacrifice, that the fat belonged to the Lord's. And that the, God's way of taking care of the priesthood was allowing them, after, after the sacrifice had been burnt or boiled, that God would allow the priest to take a fork, stick the fork into the meat, and whatever came up out of the pot or out of the fire on that fork, that belonged to the Lord. But what Eli's sons did is whenever somebody brought a sacrifice to worship God, they said, listen, we, we are going to, to take our portion now. We're going to take the portion before it's been cooked, before it's been burnt, before it's been boiled. And, and they would take the portion that belonged to the Lord. So what this really was, was it was an act of greed. They were not satisfied with what God provided, but they wanted more. Later on in verse 22, when Eli confronts his sons, we learn that it wasn't only greed that, that they were about, but Eli's sons were also consumed with lust. We learn in verse 22 that, that they dishonored the Lord's temple by having inappropriate relationships with the women who took care of the temple. In fact, there's a commentator, Dale Raff, Ralph Davis, that says this, They turned the tabernacle into a brothel, a place where sin was committed rather than confessed. That's what Eli's sons did. And they did this all with the threat of violence. That whenever, whenever uh, somebody brought their sacrifice to be sacrificed, to be worshiping the Lord, and they said, listen, we want to take our portion first. And the person bringing the sacrifice said, no, that portion belongs to the Lord. We are told that they said, listen, you're going to give it or we are just going to take it by force. They were corrupting the worship of God. God's, God's spiritual leaders were immoral and were corrupting the worship of God. Isn't it interesting that even when we look at the church today, what, what corrupted God's worship then is what corrupts it today? That just as Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons, just as they just as they fell to greed and lust and violence. Those are the same things that, that trip up God's leaders today. Greed, lust, 
and violence. But what we find is that God rejects immoral spiritual leaders. Whenever we see this in the passage, we see it beginning happening in verse 23 and 25 when Eli, their father, hears about what's going on. We believe he's probably about 90 years old right now. Uh, so he's, he's not probably an active participant, but he's starting to hear rumors of what Israel is saying about the tabernacle, about how it's corrupted by these priests, these sons of Eli. It says that he went to them and he, he corrected them. He said, sons, what, what is it that you are doing? This isn't right. You need to stop. But Eli, notice what he doesn't do. is almost a, a passive rebuke where he's like, boys, y'all really need to stop. But does he take them out of their role? Does he remove their position from them? He doesn't. Later on, when a prophet comes uh, and, and begins to, to correct Eli and his sons and, and pass on the word of the Lord and pass on the judgment of God to them, this prophet in verses 27 through 34 tells Eli, the reason you did not correct your sons, the reason you didn't discipline them correctly is because you yourself, Eli, you were getting fat off of their corruption, that you were complicit with it, and thus you are guilty with it. God rejected and promised to remove these immoral spiritual leaders. In fact, the prophet sent this curse on Eli and his family. He basically said, listen, the people in your family, they are not going to grow old. He said, the people in your family... They, they are going to be removed from the priesthood. Your line is going to be removed from the priesthood. And he said, a sign of this is that your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they are going to die on the same day. God rejects immoral spiritual leaders. I think there's a few applications that we can, can walk away from this truth. First, I think whenever we see corruption in a church, it ought to turn our stomach. We ought to be saddened by it. We ought to be angered by it. Churches ought to be a place of truth. They ought to be a place of, of peace where holiness is, is a characteristic and a mark of the people of God. And not only of the people of God, but also of, of, of the life they live out in the community. So when we see corruption coming into the church, it ought to anger us and sadden us. But at the same time, I think we need to realize that when we see brokenness in a church, it doesn't mean that we give up on the system that God provided for us. God provided us the system of the church. God has provided us this, this institution to be a part of. And just because, just because we might see corruption in the church, just because you might have been wounded in the church, doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. It doesn't mean that we throw out the church because some immoral leader in the church hurt us. Don't give up on the system. Don't give up on the institution that God has installed. Because one thing we need to realize is that God is still in control and that God is working even in that corrupt system. People still brought their worship to God. People still brought their sacrifices to God. People were still able to connect with God. And all the while, while there were these corrupt, immoral spiritual leaders, God was at 
work. How was God at work? How can we see God at work in this in this passage? We see God at work in this passage because God was raising up a spiritual, a royal priest. God was providing a royal priest. He sent the prophet to to condemn Eli's sons, but all the while he was raising up Samuel. Isn't it interesting that when we look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, beginning even before they begin to mention Eli's wicked sons, it talks about how the boy, in verse 11, the boy served the Lord in the presence of the priest Eli. Even though Samuel was surrounded by corruption, even though Samuel was surrounded by immorality, he stayed faithful to God. He continued to serve the Lord. Then you look again at verse 18. This boy, Samuel, this child, says in verse 18 that Samuel served in the Lord's presence. This mere boy was dressed in a linen ephod. What is he saying? That even as a young child, that God was responding to the immoral leadership found in Eli's son. God was providing a true royal priesthood. We see this that in that Samuel was being brought up to be a true priest and a true prophet for Israel. But we also see this happening in a, in a larger picture. Not only did God provide a royal priest in Samuel, royal in that he, he was the priest that anointed the kings of Israel, but we also see God providing a royal priest prophetically. And he is answering the, the immorality of Eli's sons. Look at what it says in the book of 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 26 through 27. It said, The king said to the priest Abathar, Go to your fields in Anoth. Even though you deserve to die, I will not put you to death today, since you carried the ark of the Lord God in the presence of my father David, and you suffered through all that my father suffered. So Solomon banished Abathar from being the Lord's priest, and it fulfilled the Lord's prophecy he had spoken at Shiloh against Eli's family. What we find is, is Solomon, David's son, after, 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 uh, after Abathar kind of betrayed David in the later part of his life, Solomon became king and he provided uh, an answer to the prophecy made against Eli's sons. Generations later, it came true. And in Abathar's place, God installed a, a priest named Zadok. And Zadok became a royal priest, serving the family line of David. So God provided a royal priest in Samuel, but also in Solomon. But I think God still has provided another royal priest. And we see that God answered this prophecy in 1 Samuel chapter 2. He answered it redemptively in Jesus. Look at what it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help us in our time of need. God provided a royal priest in Samuel, later on in Zadok, in an answer to the prophecy in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But ultimately, God provided a royal priest through the person and through the work of Jesus Christ. I think this passage that we're looking at has a lot to say about the church today. It has a lot to say about pastors today. But I think it also has a lot to say to us in our, in our current, present moment. Because the Bible talks about another royal priest. We have Samuel, we have Zadok, we have Jesus. But also the Bible talks about the followers of Jesus being a royal priesthood. Look at what it says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you are in Jesus Christ, Scripture teaches that you are a royal priest. You are a mediator between the people on this earth and God himself. So what are you supposed to do? You are supposed to offer up worship, but you are also supposed to offer up this this intercession. Like Aaron before you, you have this gold plate upon your forehead that says, Holy to the Lord. What does that look like and how does this impact in our current situation with the coronavirus? I think God is creating a perfect storm for his priests to intercede for the people of this world. Think about it. We have people who who are having they're having their world rocked. Their, their finances have changed, their schedules have changed, their relationships have changed, their, their hobbies have been upturned. And people all over our city, all over the country, all over the world, people all over the place are asking these questions. Why is this happening? What is the purpose behind this? Is there a God? And, and what is he up to? But God has not left the world without a priesthood. He has left you here in order to proclaim the truth of what God is up to. He gave the world a royal priest, a people who are holy. So what are we to do? Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9 again. What does it say? It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Like Aaron before you. You are to be a holy people, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. I think God is calling his people to two things in this passage. One, he is calling you to be holy to be separate from this world, to be separate from sin, to be dedicated to the purposes and to the worship of our God. But he is also calling us to be a people who proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
I want you to use this time, this time when the whole world is turned upside down. I want you to use this time to consider your holiness, to consider how am I still tied to this world? How am I still tied to the sins and the weight of this world that so easily entangles us and holds us down from kingdom work? And confess those things to God. Leave them behind. And at the same time, I think we need to be preparing what we are going to say to people. How are we going to call them as we were called out of darkness into marvelous light? Who are you going to share this good news with? Who are you going to be offering prayers of intercession up for Christ Community Church, I really do believe that God is up to something, that God is is, is preparing his people and preparing the hearts of this world for, for a movement where he is going to call people back to himself and redeem many. The question is, is what type of priest are you going to be? Are you going to be a priest like Eli's sons who who are corrupted by greed and lust and violence and anger? Or are you going to be a priest like Samuel who is living his life in the presence of God? Are you going to fulfill this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 where you are living a holy life and calling and interceding for people before our God? That's what I want us to do. That's what I want us to see in in our lives as individuals, but also as a church, that we would be a faithful witness to what God is doing. Let us pray.